This morning, I want to talk about some of the questions that we struggle with. Discovered that people have questions, that people deal with lots of questions, that you make lots of choices. You do, you've made a lot of choices today. Um, you guys all made it, got out of bed. You chose. It, it might have been prompted by mom's choice to dump water on your head, but nonetheless, you chose um, to get up. You choose to put on clothes. Thank you very much. And you chose to show up. I appreciate it. And so you made some choices. But as we look at these different questions, we discovered that life's full of them. But a lot of times we struggle with these questions. Some of these questions are harder than others. But let me, let me throw a question at you guys. Can you put up the first slide? Okay, so some of life's questions are harder than some of other life's questions. Has anyone got this one figured out? Okay, we have a lot of people who are struggling with this question. And the next slide with our answer. And some of you guys are like, I was here for first service. I knew this was coming. Uh, Others have seen me do similar things before, but this is what I want you to catch. Today's title is The Right Question. Because in life, if you answer the wrong question correctly, you'll come up with the wrong answer. If you are really smart, but you're asking the wrong question, you get the wrong answer. If you are answering two plus two, you are, if you are very smart, you are not going to come up with the answer of eight. But if this is the question you were supposed to be asking and you write down four, you're in trouble. I learned this as a kid. Um, I was really good at simple math. Like when you adding, subtracting, that was great. Multiplication, I got really, really good at it. And then they went and introduced like really long multiplication. I don't remember if, you know, if you remember doing that in school when they're like, ooh, what's 1,562 times, you know, and you got these massive multiplication things, you know, whatever, and you got to write all this stuff down. I went from being like super good at math to not doing so well because though I excelled at math, there was a subject that I didn't do so well in handwriting. And I just discovered along the way that I would multiply them right and then I would go and add them and I would add things up correct and I would get the wrong answer. And you're like, what on earth did I do wrong? And you go back and you're like, oh, I couldn't tell if that was a four or a nine. Or like, you'd look and my handwriting was bad enough that I would sometimes add up the wrong numbers because I would mistake my own handwriting. And when I added up the wrong numbers correctly, it was the wrong answer. You guys following? And you go, okay, so this makes sense in math, pretty obvious, but why would I answer the wrong question unless I had bad handwriting? And some of you guys have great handwriting or you just use a calculator now so you don't have handwriting. But um, life is full of these questions. See, because I don't know if you've... Who, who, try this again. Who's ever heard this, the phrase, there are no stupid questions? Anyone ever heard that? It's true, but there's wrong questions. Um, and you go, well, what's the wrong question? Peter asked the wrong question to Jesus. So we're going to kind of take a look and go from there. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, him being Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And I don't know what just happened. Somehow when I read this, I just assume that somebody just picked, ticked Peter off 
And it's either like, hey, he just achieved eight times, and so I'm ready to write him off, kick him in the face, whatever. Or he's like, it's, it's, it's been seven times. How many more times do I need to forgive this guy? Like he's, I, I, just, I just picture this as like, all right, how many times do I have to put up with my brother? I really want to hit him, remove him from my presence by force, whatever it may be. Um, and Jesus responds to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. And you're like, Jesus, are you listening to me? Like, this is ridiculous. That's 490 times. Do you really? And, he, and if you read through the things, like in a day, you're like, um, 490 times. Do you realize I would waste my whole entire day counting? All right. That's the 410th time you've lied to me today. Like, who has time to sit here and keep tally? Like, you I don't know if you ever had someone mess you up when you're counting. You know, they're like, ha ha, you're at 10. No, I was at, what was I at? No, no. Like, anyways, so like, this is kind of a, a crazy number. Is this the number of forgiveness? Is it really 490 times? Am I supposed to keep a journal and write down every time that they do something and like, all right, well, that's the 401st time you've lied, but that is the 410th time you've taken something from me. And like, am I supposed to be keeping tallies of all these different things? But Jesus goes through, and in the following verse, Jesus changes the question. He goes, you can't even get the right answer, really, from where you're at. I can give you a crazy number that you can't comprehend to try to get you to the right place, but you're asking the wrong question. And Jesus goes from, how many times do I have to tolerate my brother being an idiot, my paraphrase, to verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And at first that can seem kind of weird, but Jesus tells this story. He goes, let me illustrate this point for you. He goes, there's this king. He needs to settle accounts with his servants. So he calls, him, calls us in the servant. This servant owes him, and you can find this whole story in Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35, um, is, is this whole section. Th this guy owes him 10,000 talents. And as I was as growing up, I read that, and I'm like, 10,000 talents. You mean he was good at trumpet? He was good at basketball, football? Like, no, okay, so it's money. 10,000 10, talents? I don't own, I, what does that translate to? Um... A talent, my Bible has a little note, says a talent equaled 20 years wages. So to say he owed 10,000 talents means he owed 200,000 years wages. In America, technically they would say that the average median household or average median hourly wage is $16.41, but we're just going to do the math at $15. So at $15 an hour, this is $6,240,000,000 that he owes the king. So he shows up before the king, and the king's like, hey, you owe me money. And you're like, yeah, no joke. That's kind of a little bit of money. If anyone doesn't think that's very much money, give me some. Um, so, so we have this. He comes before the king. king's like, you owe me money. He's like, I I'll pay you. I don't have the money yet, but I'll get the money. I'll pay you. Just give me some more time. And he's a bit panicked. And you go, why is he panicked? He can just file bankruptcy. But that's not how their system worked. Um, their system, if you didn't pay your debt, the person that you owed the debt had the option to lock you up in jail and or torture you until you came up with the money. 
And you're like, how am I supposed to come up with the money if I'm in jail? Like, because everyone who cares anything about you is trying to get you out. And that's where your family is doing those spaghetti dinners and taco dinners and selling truffles and going around everybody going, do you have any money? My loved one, my father, aunt, sister, cousin, brother, whatever, is in jail till they pay off their debt. Can you help us get enough money to do this? And so uh, normally that's bad and could take a while. If you owe $6,240,000,000, that's going to take forever. And so he's sitting here saying, well, just give me a little bit more time. Just you know, give me a break. I've got a family. He goes through and he begs and pleads with the king. And the king looks at him. Instead of going, okay, let's set up a payment plan. I've got, we'll get this figured out. He just looks at him and goes, don't worry about it. What? Just, just forget it. Forget what? Six billion two hundred and forty million. Really? Yeah. Go. Be blessed. Like, what would you do if someone just like, oh yeah, six billion two hundred forty million. Here you go. Don't sweat it. It's nothing. So, so he, he says this, and, and it's like, well, what? It's crazy. And I, I can't imagine the guy walking out of there not thrilled. Like, you walk out of there, like, yeah, I just got forgiven $6 billion. <laughs> and, like, dancing, whatever, going down the street. And then he bumps into somebody who owes him money. And it says he, this guy owed him 100 denarii. And once again, that was like, cool, you owe. What? Denarii, is it like an Atari? Is this like the original game system? Like, what is, what is this that he owes him? It's, Denarius was a day's wage. So he owed him 100 days wages. Using the same formula as before, he owes him 12 grand. How many of you guys think 12 grand is a lot of money? How many of you guys would like 12 grand? Okay, just checking. Um, not gonna give up 12 grand. It is a lot of money, but is it a lot of money compared to 6,240,000,000? No. So when he comes across his servant, you expect him to be like, hey, you owe me money. And the guy either will be like, here, I pay you. Or when what actually happened, he goes, hey, you owe me money. And the guy goes, I do. I owe you money. I'll pay you. I promise. Just give me a little bit more time. I don't have the money right now, but I'll get you the money. I swear. Just don't throw me in jail. I've got a family. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll work. We're going to get it. And his response, you dirty rotten. And he, and he just grabs the guy, calls him names, and throws him in jail until he can pay his debt. And you look and you're like, why didn't you just be like, hey, 12 grand. That's a lot of money. I just got forgiven 6240000000 You have a good day. Pay me later. Forget about it. You've just been forgiven just like I've been forgiven. This is great. It's kind of what you'd expect, right? But he throws this guy in jail. Some of the king's other servants, they watch this. They watch him get forgiven. They watch this debt no longer demanded of him. And then they watch him go throw this other guy in jail. And they tell the king, hey, king, do you remember that guy who you just like forgave $6,240,000,000 for? He's like, yeah. He just threw his friend in jail over 12 grand. And the king's like, hmm, call him in. So he comes in. Hey, king! He's like, all thrilled, like, hey, last time he gave me six billion, what's he gonna do now? <laughs> like, this is, this is good. And so he comes in, and the king goes, you know, so like, what happened? 
And I was like, oh, this guy owed me money. So I threw him in jail until he paid what he owed me. Shouldn't you have passed on the mercy that I showed you? Because if that's how you feel it should be handled, you can go to jail and go to the torturers until you pay every last penny of your debt. And the guy's jaw goes, and they took him away. And then Jesus ends the story. Oops, wrong. Jesus ends the story going, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Jesus goes, you asked the wrong question. You asked, how much does my brother owe me? How long can I let him owe me before I throw him in jail? And Jesus looks and goes, that's the wrong question. The right question is how much have you been forgiven? And he changed the situation. And I got thinking further about this because I talked to Bob this week. His parents gave him a different name, but I named him Bob. So Bob. Bob and I were talking. And Bob called me. He's like, hey, I've got a question. Somebody has been mistreating me. We'll name somebody family member. So we'll just call them family member. Family member has been mistreating me. And they've been doing it over and over and over and over again. In fact, it's starting to affect me a lot. And it affects all my other relationships. What do I do? Can I write them off? When can I write them off? How long do I have to put up with this? And, and Bob went through and he, he began to share with me story after story of hurtful things that that family member has done. Everything from, you know, I'm trying to make this right. I'm trying to show them God's love and I got them a gift and they refused to like see me. They called me up and were like, hey, it came from you, so I'm going to throw it away and just rude stuff. On and on. And it was crazy because this is one of those times where it's very, it'd be very easy for me to emotionally respond to him. And I actually felt like God's grace come over me. And I'm like, well, this is a good time for God's grace because I need God's wisdom and I need God's grace. And I was like, you know what? You're asking the wrong question. The right answer to your question is the wrong answer because you're asking the wrong question. You're asking how much should I put up with? When can I write them off? In order to answer that question, you have to keep track of every time they offend you. That's miserable. Jesus turned the question and said, how much have you been forgiven? And I didn't even think of the story until after this phone conversation. During the phone conversation, I think it was just God leading me to the right direction because when you say really smart stuff and you're like, wow, where did that come from? You're like, that wasn't me. Um, I just went through and I said, all right, I don't know when, but someday you're going to stand in front of God. I don't know if you're going to die young, die old, or be alive when Jesus comes back. But whatever the case, you're going to stand in front of Jesus. 
You're going to give an account for your life. When you do, how do you want to say you handled the situation? And he just goes, ooh. That changes things. It's no longer about how many times did family member yell, scream, say this, do this. It's no longer about this list. So what do you, how do you want to tell Jesus you handled this? Well, I, I want to honor God. Okay, what does that look like? I want, we talked about it. I said, you know, you want, you want to show her God's love. Yeah. So, How? And it was interesting because the reason that I got the phone calls because Bob answered the question, the wrong question, logically, but was not satisfied with the answer because he was asking the wrong question. And he called me because he answered the question but still didn't feel right about it because he was answering the wrong question. He's like, well, all right, well, this doesn't mean that you need to kiss and hug and hang out every day for lunch, but how can you show them God's love? If you are a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ, how would he want to be represented? He's like, oh. you know, how do I love her? How, how do I show her God's love in this situation? And so we begin to walk through different situations going, it doesn't mean that you've got to be buddy-buddy. That might look like, you know what? So you're going to throw away the gift because I gave it to you. All right, well, I just wanted you to know that in all the craziness, you're loved. If you don't want to receive it, I can't make you. But praying God's best for you. Let him cuss you out. Is that your job? Is the question, do they deserve it? Or is the question, how do I honor God? How do I want to answer to him? And, and, and I begin to, to talk with Bob about this, and he, and he began to change in his thinking because it was, he was very, very smart. He is very smart. He didn't die in the last. But he was just asking the wrong question. And then I, as I was writing this, I, I wanted to make sure you understood, this is not an excuse to let abuse continue. If you are being abused, call the police. You go, but they might go to jail. Reporting an abuser may be the most loving thing that you could do. Um, I talked to a man who had been reported. And it was probably the best thing that had ever happened to him. You're like, well, does that mean he got off? No, I think he might have got to go to jail. But he looked at me broken and repentant. Because as he sat there talking to a police officer about what had happened... 
says, it all of a sudden clicked what I had done and who I had done it to. And I could not believe myself. A lot of times, most, I don't know of people that as a little kid go, what's your goal in life? I'm going to be an abuser. Like, so how does that happen? You go, well, it's compromise after compromise after compromise. And we could go through and talk, do a whole sermon on it. But for you to realize that a lot of times they need the slap in the face to wake up and to realize what they've become. And for you to understand, it's not just about you. That in love, um, especially, this is probably true of all abuse, but this is especially true of sexual abuse. That sexual depravity um, escalates unless something changes. So if somebody has deemed it okay to abuse a person, they are okay abusing a person. Do you follow? So if they abused you, even if you can avoid it because you can see them and run, what's to stop them from abusing another? You go, well, I don't know. You go, it might cause problems. I don't want me teaching on the fact that you're supposed to be loved for you to skew or to have someone tell you, see, you have to love me and if you reported, it would cause problems. They already caused problems. Don't let them manipulate you and control you with these lies that it's your fault. Um, you can love them while reporting them. You can love them even as they go to jail if need be. You can love them and go, you know what? I love you. I pray that you find repentance. I pray God's best upon you. I pray that you change and that things go well in the court system for you and you have favor. I pray God's best upon you. But I love you and I love you enough to make sure that you wake up. I love you enough to make sure that this stops. Um, sorry, that was a little bit of a tangent. But... Uh, it's so easy when we're asking the wrong question to get the wrong answer. It's so easy to ask the question, how do I feel? And to ask all, what do I want? What makes me happy? Questions. Um, how many of you guys can drive? Okay, this is tested on the road probably every time you drive. Maybe not every time, but a lot. Um, how many of you guys have come across an idiot on the road? Yeah, I'm not the only one. Okay, so you're, you're driving, and somewhere along the way, somebody cuts you off. Somebody pulls out in front of you, like right out in front of you, and then drives like 20 under the speed limit. You're like, what are you doing? If you were in no hurry, why did you cut me off? Like, anyways, um... That might bother me. But anyway, so you've got this like whole list and so often it's so easy when someone does something to you to ask, who do you think you are? If you can't see, don't drive. And like you just got all these different things that like come bubbling up inside. But if you drive long enough, you'll realize that you do stupid things too. But you know why you did stupid things. So it's so much easier to excuse them. 
You're like, well, they, that car was in like the perfect spot where my door and my windshield meet and there's like a bar and I couldn't see the car until I already hit the gas and I was halfway out so I just gunned it and I know I made them break but you know, I, I didn't see them, oops. And it's so easy to justify yourself or like, well, I was on my way to the hospital and I had to get there and so I was in a hurry or you know what, I was late for work because this happened and I did this and, and it's so easy to justify myself while condemning others for the same actions. And they go, am I asking the right question? And then I, I watched somebody else who was amazing at this as, as we were in it. And when someone was doing just, they were driving like an idiot. And rather than having them sit here going, what kind of an idiot, where'd they learn to drive? They stuff, you know, whatever, you know, going through their comments, it was, Maybe they're on the way to the hospital. Maybe they're heading somewhere to grieve because a family member just died. And like, what do you say after that? You're like, they! <laughs> all of a sudden, they started asking different questions. And all of the anger and frustration just begin to drain out. And all of a sudden, things begin to change. And so often, even just asking, going, what? How do I want to give an account for this when I stand in front of God? Changes everything. My mom was driving, and she had one of those oops moments where you do something stupid. You pull out, and you're like, ooh, I didn't see them. And the person that she pulled out in front of was not very happy about it, and came like, this is all like, got up right on the back of her car, and then went to pull around, and flicking her off, and then turns right as she passes my mom, and then recognized my mom. And goes, <laughs> and then didn't want to come to church for a couple of weeks. Because <laughs> they were afraid they were going to see mom, and realized that they just flicked off the pastor's wife, and uh, we're feeling a little bit awkward. But it's really not a bad question. How would I want to respond that was my pastor. Better question. How would I want to respond if that was Jesus? Jesus came to take their place and to pay the punishment for their sins. So they just sinned against you. How do you want to respond? And all of a sudden, just going, all right, well, if I just ask a different question, changes things. And, and I could go through lots of stories of situations where I had opportunities and you recognize similar opportunities that you've had to go, all right, am I going to choose to be annoyed at this person because they responded stupid or am I going to choose to ask how would I feel in their shoes? What can I do to help them? And all of a sudden, as we ask a different question, hey, how would I want this to go down when I give an account of this to Jesus? When you ask these different questions, it begins to change everything. In Colossians, we're told to set our, our eyes, set our mind on things that are above. Because so often we ask the question, how much do I have to do? What can I justify? What is my excuse? And we ask these, you know, well, when can I say this, when can I erupt, can I justify, because and we're asking the wrong question. And God goes, we should be asking, how can I honor God? How can my choices today bring honor to him? Because 
the questions that I ask, the one I'm asking who I want to please reveals who I'm living for. And if you say, the question I've asked has been, what will make me happy? Then the Lord of your life is you. If the question that you've been asking is what will make other people happy, the master of your life is other people. And, and I could go through and, 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 and word a bunch of these. Some people are living and the master of their life is their family. Because the choices that they make, the question that they ask is not, hey, what is God going to think? You know, how do I honor God with my life? It's just all about their family. Not that family's bad. Love family. But family shouldn't be God. And going through going, if you ask the right question, how can I honor God? What would God have me do? When I stand in front of God and I give an account of this, what do I want it to look like? It changes things. And as we ask some of these, we ask, begin to ask the right question. It may bring a question in your heart. You may go, hey, I've been asking the wrong questions. I've been living for me. I've been living just to fit in. I've been living to be popular, to be cool, to please this, these people. You may say, you know what? Whatever the case, I, I'm not, I haven't been living for God. And you ask, you know, how do I want it to look when I stand in front of God? That's just scary because I'm not right with God. I want to give you a chance to be ready for that day. To go today, I want it to look like I started a relationship with Jesus. Today, I want to start asking the right question. I want to stop saying, what do I want? I want to start saying, what does God want? I want to change the question. I want to make Jesus my Lord. I want to live for him. And I want to know that I'm right with God on my way to heaven. I want to give you a chance to do that. Can everyone bow their heads, close their eyes? If you're here to say, I need to... I need to answer, answer that question. I need to make Jesus my Lord today. I need to begin to live for him. I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand when I count to three. Every head bowed, every eye closed. This is your chance to make Jesus your Lord, to know that you're right with him and on your way to heaven. Two, get ready. Three, raise your hands up nice and high. So that's me. Awesome, I see your hand and your hand and your hand. Who else is that's me? Awesome. You can put your hands back down. The Bible says that whoever calls on his name will be saved. So we're going to call on God's name. And he's going to do just like he promised. God, I'm sorry for the wrong things I've done. I believe that you died and rose again. Thank you for washing my sins away. I want to live for you every day. I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.